Curiosity is not a sin, Harry, but you should exercise caution. He's a time strand. You're fraternizing with the enemy. There's the, um, the Cruciatus curse. We'll celebrate a boy who was kind and honest and brave and true right to the very end. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We're doing Chapter 12, the Triwizard Tournament, kind of a big deal. And because it's a big deal, and also because we haven't had her on for forever, it seems like, Anna is back with us. Hi! It's been a long time, since the end of Prisoner of Azkaban, right? I know. So, uh, before we get into the chapter, though... uh, we did have a big outing as a podcast relatively recently. <gasps> it was recently. so fun. We went to the Harry, pa- Harry Potter Magic at Play in downtown Chicago here, where we're based out of. Um, it's uh, We put a bunch of stuff on our Instagram. We tried to post a couple of things to Twitter. We will continue to post oh, yeah, stuff from it. Um, Highly recommend if you have any ways of getting to Water Tower Place in Chicago. Yeah, wanted to shout out two people really quick. Maria T, uh, at Maria Tadoja underscore. I think that's how I pronounce it. Sorry if I didn't. But I know you were really interested in some of the stuff we posted. Hopefully you enjoyed some of the posts that we had on Twitter and Instagram. I, uh, me, personally, my favorite post that we did was uh, Anna sitting at Trelawney's <laughs> table doing her best Trelawney impersonation, which objectively is fantastic. So if you haven't checked that out, please go check our Instagram. Broaden your mind. Oh, it's fantastic. Um, That was one of my highlights from the day. (laughs) Uh, Another highlight was meeting Greg, who's an employee. Yeah, he was cool. He was really cool. Uh, You can find him on Twitter at Lakeshore Hive. (laughs) Very cool. It's major expressway in Chicago's Lakeshore (laughs) Drive. For those that aren't here, it's a play on words. But anyway. Uh, yeah, he was really cool, came, talked to us. We were wearing some of our uh, Harry Potter. We have uh, swag now. We have we have merch. We have stuff, <laughs> uh, which is great. We have some some great shirts, which you can see um, on some of our pictures that we've posted in some of the videos. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can see some of those shirts. But um, yeah, he was really cool, came up, talked to us, uh, informed us that we could have gotten free hats. But we were... Yeah, that was kind of like... A step to the heart I didn't need. Yeah. Uh, it's okay, Greg. We still like you. We were a little late on that, but uh, no, it was cool meeting him. Um, again, hopefully everybody enjoys all that kind of stuff from our little field trip. For the chapter, we <laughs> it's a big one. It's the Triwizard Tournament. We finally know what Mr. Weasley has been teasing for so long. Arthur, Percy. Bill and Charlie. <laughs> like, all... Even Ludo Bagman was even like... Even Draco! <laughs> yeah, They've all been hinting at it. And we finally, finally get this big announcement. Um, so, obviously, Dumbledore is the one that gives it. Uh, as he should. And um, we basically get back to Hogwarts in this chapter, essentially. Mm-hmm. We get into the Great Hall. We get the Sorting Hat song. We get the sorting. Uh, and then we kind of get this... Uh, speech by Albus to kind of set up what the year is going to be like. Which, right off the bat, this is the first time since reading the books for the first time. Obviously, reading the books for the first time, I always took note of the illustrations and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But rereading, I kind of like, ah, oh, whatever, it's an illustration. This is the first time that I really took note. It's almost like he's at like a, a talent show at the school. <laughs> 
Like the illustration is it like. It does look like a like. Why magician, are there curtains? <laughs> like I don't understand why there are curtains. But he's like in the center of the stage. I don't know. I just found it odd. Maybe it's supposed to be the banners for the houses. Since the first feast is a I don't know. I don't know. It just caught me off guard. It was like oh, that's kind of interesting. But uh, anyway. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, we start in the chapter, and we get a Peeves mention right off the bat, as all of these students come in with uh, just rain pouring, storming outside. They're already miserable. Miserable. They're getting wet, and then he's just dropping more water balloons on top of them as <laughs> they're coming in. Can you imagine if he had hit McGonagall? She skidded to a halt and, <laughs> and nearly strangled her money. <laughs> And I'm literally imagining Maggie Smith doing this. <laughs> and I'm like, oh gosh, don't get hurt. Like, don't break a hip or something. Oh my gosh. Oh. But at the same... So, here's me being practical about this whole thing. One, I like how McGonagall threatens Peeves with, I will call the headmaster. Mm -hmm. That's fine. And it clearly works well enough. Yeah. And I'm... As well as... Albus can handle everything, because it's Albus Dumbledore. McGonagall should be able to take care of Peeves, though, right? I had that thought, too. I, I, it felt kind of like one of those moments where a mom says, don't make me tell your father, and it's like, shouldn't have mom have just as much authority? Like, but... Oh, especially in this case, where she's fully, fully like, capable. I think it's been mentioned multiple times that the only people who Peeves listens to are the Bloody Baron and... The headmaster. Oh, we'll get to the bloody baron here in a second. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that was that was an odd moment, and then the, the idea that all of these magical people are just getting soaked when they're walking into the great hall, and then again when they're getting water balloons dropped. Yeah. Couldn't they, in theory, just magically dry themselves? I mean, the teachers definitely should be able to. Sure. And the older students. Exactly. I'm trying to remember. I don't think. Harry, Ron, and Hermione have learned the, that magic yet. That's fine, but everything you just said right before that, like, the teachers oh, yeah. and the older students should be, like, annoyed by. Yeah. But overall, pretty much, meh. <laughs> go about their business. But, and we'll get, so, McGonagall obviously brings in the first years from the Great Hall, uh, whatever you want to call it, like, prep room that they're in <laughs> before the first years get sorted. And they're drenched because they came in on the boats, right? right? We'll get to one specific drenched student, but that's beside the point. You'd think McGonagall would provide the service of just like, welcome to my school. By the way, let me give you a little help here. I mean, <laughs> or just own it. That's it. like, like Hogwarts. I feel like like a walk of shame initiation. Many times about Hogwarts, like it's not a normal school with great well-being for their students. All valid points. So. You're right, I can't argue any of that. So, so moving on. Uh, yeah, so, for once, uh, Harry, Ron, and Hermione are actually here. Yeah. They're present. All three of them. Nothing. First time since they're for their own sorting. Yeah, nothing yeah. crazy's happened. Everything's good. Uh, so they actually get to hear the song, which I, you get one of the true Ron moments when song finishes, and we can get to the song, I think, uh, itself. I have a spoiler comment about it. But song finishes. It's a relatively plain song for the most part. It literally just, 
here are the four founders, here are the four houses, here you go, blah, blah, blah. Okay. And then Ron goes, with with what I imagine to be the most matter-of-fact tone ever, like, just like, meh, kind of tone. He's like, must be boring being a hat. Probably spends all year just writing the next song. And I'm like, that's such a Ron comment to even make. Who even makes that comment? I don't know. Ron does. It's great. Because he's not wrong. He's not wrong. Um, but, uh, I mean, the hat, I, I can't honestly remember the, the details of the first song that we hear. But it also mentions that it's, you know, Gryffindor's hat. I'm sure the hat has some stories to tell. Oh, yeah. And I should. think he mentions that in... One of the songs. This he song he definitely the mentioned. Things it. that he's lived through. In the oh, maybe yeah, stuff. that's right. Yeah, but I don't know. Hey, Ron, don't judge the Sorting Hat. It's lived to life. I don't think that he's lived judging. I just think he's just observing. Like, hey, for the most part just, of the year, he just sits in the headmaster's Just because he's writing and singing songs in his retirement, it does not mean he's lived a boring life. Anyway. Uh, we got the sorting. I'm gonna run through this as quickly the as possible. Thing that I you one thing that I really liked before the sorting actually started uh-huh. was Hermione brought up the fact that Parvati has a twin. Oh yes. And I think it's cool that they're in different houses. Yeah, so it gets I've br- always liked that. It gets brought up because of the Creevies. So Colin right. Creevy comes up to Harry and is like, Oh my brother is getting sorted this year. Yeah, it's right, great. Right. And then um Harry's like, Well, They'll be in the same house, right? Of course they are. They're brothers. I'm guessing this all up on them. They're not. Yeah. So, uh, and then Hermione has that fact about Patil. What do you What do you think about the identical twins being in different houses? I always kind of liked it because I feel like, yes, obviously there's a special bond everybody talks about for twins having, but I feel like also twins just sort of get lumped together, and people always assume they're just kind of like the same person. Obviously, they're not. So I thought it was. I always thought it was fun that the hat recognized whatever differences there must be between Padma and Parvati that he sorted them into the two different houses. I think it must have probably really stunk for them first year. Probably the first time they'd ever been separated that much. But do you think it's the hat noticing? different inherent qualities like one is maybe a little bit more maybe wittier or whatever or one's a little bit more bold i think he recognized whatever it is about the differences between them that one needed to be in ravenclaw and one needed to be in gryffindor because remember at some point hermione tells us the hat thought about putting her in ravenclaw Mm -hmm. and so i just feel like something about Hermione, the hat, knew she needed to be in Gryffindor. That was where she belonged. So whatever it is about Pravati and Padma, he knew that was where the two of them belonged. Do you think it has anything to do with them being twins and everybody lumping them together their entire lives and then maybe them themselves have that, maybe we want to be a little bit more individual. Yeah. And reading that sense to them a little bit. Also, could you imagine being the hat and being like... (laughs) put on one and then taken off and then you put on an identical twin. I'm sure the hat at first is like, I just did this. Oh wait. Okay. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe slightly different. I'm sure it was the same thing for Fred and George. I'm Mm. sure it was a very interesting. Now those are two people. Those are two identical twins. He couldn't have separated. Oh, that's a conversation for a different day. In that, how would you separate them if you were to separate? You know what I mean? I don't mean? think they would want to be separated. 
I don't think there is in Fred or George that feeling of like, I want to be more individual. I can't see them being in any other house other than Gryffindor. Oh yeah, no. And they have qual they have honestly they have qualities of both Ravenclaw and Slytherin. I was just gonna say if they weren't in Gryffindor, I think it would have to be Slytherin. But like, can you imagine one of the Weasleys being in Slytherin? I can't imagine one being in Slytherin and one being in Gryffindor. That would yeah. be that would be a bad idea. <laughs> maybe that's what the maybe that's what the hat thought. I don't know. Anyway, interesting conversations. So we we get to the sorting, and I'm gonna run through these names very quickly. Uh, we got Stuart Ackerley, Ravenclaw, Malcolm Baddock, Slytherin, Eleanor Branstone, Hufflepuff, Owen Caldwell, Hufflepuff, Dennis Creevy, who we'll talk about in a second, Ooh. Gryffindor, Emma Dobbs, question mark. Uh, we never actually find out what house she gets sorted into, just her <laughs> name. Yeah. Uh, Laura Madley, Hufflepuff, uh, Natalie McDonald, Gryffindor, Graham Pritchard, Slytherin, great name here, Orla Quirk, yeah, Ravenclaw. Yeah, great name. Uh, Kevin Whitby Hufflepuff. There's 11 names that I just mentioned, probably more than that, as Harry flits in and out of attention with the actual sorting itself. But yeah, only the one Gryffindor was actually mentioned with Dennis Creevy. Uh, obviously, Dennis being sorted into Gryffindor is a big deal. He, uh, the brother of Colin, has a couple of moments here. He <laughs> comes in draped in Hagrid's cloak, uh, which was described as a furry, like, tent or circus tent cover or something like that. I, I don't remember. Can't, I just I always think of it as a Mary Poppins bag. I just imagine, like, Dennis Creevy being this tiny, tiny, tiny little boy mm -hmm. swimming. Yep. And, like, he's just, like, having to clutch it so that it doesn't just, like, fall off of him. I just like the idea of this child... Wrapped in this massive cloak in this setting, giving like two thumbs yeah. up to a table and being like, mouthing the words, I fell in the lake, which is great. And having the uttermost expression of delight on yes. his face. But also, doesn't that bring up the point? At what point, is there any sort of weather event that Hogwarts would just let the first years get to the school not well, across the lake. I am literally going to throw your own comment back at you with, this is what we're right? talking about. That's what I was thinking, too. <laughs> I was just like, what if Dennis drowned? Well, he got to help. He got to help up. I know, I'm just saying. Which uh, I would tend to agree with Colin. So Dennis was literally lifted up out of the water and put back in the boat by something uh... in the lake. I'd agree with Colin. It was probably the, the squid. Like, what arrangement does Dumbledore have with this squid? <laughs> and he's like, hey, if any kids happen to fall in, can you just give them a boost up? Like, wh I... What happened uh, that Dumbledore decided he needed that agreement? <laughs> I, I need this alliance with this massive squid and like... Uh, oh my gosh. Dennis is off to a great start at Hogwarts. <laughs> so the other big part of this chapter, I think, is Hermione's oh my revelation. God, I love it. So there's one so, thing she apparently does not know about Hogwarts uh, from her... Which I have thoughts reading. on why she doesn't know it, but continue. Okay. So, uh, Nearly Headless Nick gives some insights as to how this lovely feast came to be and how it almost didn't come to be, uh, which is more Peeves-related shenanigans in the kitchens, which riled up the chefs dun, dun, dun. 
of this magnificent feast, which are house elves. To which Hermione spills her drink and goes, <laughs> slave labor made all of this? Slave labor. That quote unquote term is used like four or five times in this mm -hmm. chapter. Um, which she's not technically wrong. She's not wrong. Um, I have great respect for her hunger strike as a 14-year-old. <laughs> I wouldn't have not eaten dinner as a 14-year-old. It's, uh, I, I do love how she then comes back at Nearly Headless Nick with like, well, surely they're paid, have pensions, <laughs> have like retirement plans, have time Sick off. Leave. Yeah, all of that. Holidays. Nearly Headless Nick literally laughed his head <laughs> off, which is... A great image in my head of yeah. someone literally being able to do that, but he was able to do that. Um, so, yeah, she takes a hundred... Uh, he reveals that there are like over a hundred house elves in the kitchens, or that work for Hogwarts. And the whole point is that they're not seen. Mm -hmm. So they're doing cleaning it's at night. It's the mark of a good house elf. It's the mark of a good house elf. Uh, and Ron comes back with his usual, like, this, this is what this is. You know, house elves want this. Nearly Hiddles Nick is like, this is what they want. This is their life. And we've talked about house elves a couple of times now on the podcast and how they potentially came to be, if this was their nature from the get, or right. if this is a dark magic put upon them over generations. But um, either way, Hermione is not having it. So You go, girl. Yep. Also, you realize the reason she doesn't know it is because the house elves are so like, overlooked and not thought of is that they're not in Hogwarts of History. Yeah. That's yeah. why she doesn't know about them. That's where she got all of her Hogwarts knowledge from. That's true. That's true. I always am a fan of a Hogwarts of History mention. But I yes, you'd that... be happy that I brought it up. Yep. Uh, <laughs> so, no, that's, that's very true. And I think people, because the castle itself does have some inherent magic to it, mm -hmm. I think people might attribute some of these things right. to, like, yeah. castle magic right. uh, when it's not. Um, so, yeah, it gets overlooked often. <laughs> Which then, like, who manages this? <laughs> like, there has to be, like, an oversight of some sort, right? Is there, like, a manager house elf? Or is it just Dumbledore? It's just... a butler. It's a butler house elf, and you know who I want to be butler. <laughs> uh, I love it. All right, so we have the the Hermione hunger strike. We have her stewing in the common room afterwards. Just whispers of slave labor and then off to bed for Hermione. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, we get a Dumbledore speech, which starts off with Filch has given him a note <laughs> that he's added on to his banned items list of Hogwarts. No screaming yo-yos, fanged frisbees, or ever bashing boomerangs. These are three items attached to an already heavy list of 437 that you can find. Well, it's not like Filch made all of those things. Like, put all of those things on the list himself. There were caretakers before him. I don't know. I could see him compiling it into a list. I could see it, too. But <laughs> I also think there are caretakers before him. I'm sure there were. But, yeah. But maybe not... I think Filch is a unique character. I don't know that all of them were particularly him. But anyway, I don't know if you thought this, uh, being the Marvel fan that you are, but when I heard screaming yo-yos, I literally thought of the screaming goats in, <laughs> in Thor, Love, and Thunder. <laughs> and every time you, like, actually use the yo-yo, you just hear the screaming goat from the movie. I don't know. That's just me. 
would be awful. I would say it would, even it would, That's that. why he banned it. Oh, yeah. It is awful. Uh, that being said, I could totally see Fred and George just at the most oh, awkward, absolutely. inappropriate yeah. times doing it. That's, yeah. Maybe Filch has some foresight and knows that they already brought them in. I don't know. Who knows? Uh, so yeah, we do get some big pieces of information that actually matter. Um, there will be no inter-house Quidditch Cup. Wouldn't you have loved to hear Wood's reaction to that? I mean, uh, like, I'm glad for him that it wasn't canceled in his final year at Hogwarts, but just, like, imagine Oliver Wood. He he wouldn't care about the Triwizard Tournament. You don't think he'd put his name in? I think he'd be so devastated <laughs> that there was no Quidditch. He would run his own form of protest, yes. I'm sure, yes. I think he would just run his own Quidditch tournament. It's like, uh, I'm surprised Fred and George just responded mutely to this instead of actually, like, they audibly responded later in his speech. Yeah. Um, but I'm surprised they didn't actually raise any issues here. Or, for that matter, like Malfoy or something like that didn't raise yeah, concerns. True. But anyway. Um... Or I guess you also have Cho and Diggory both in the same... There's a lot of people who would be upset about it. There's a lot of people that have a stake. Even people who aren't on the team, people who are just fans, I would think would be upset. Uh, But anyway, we we get that news. uh, And then right as Aldous is getting to the main punchline... We get to this dramatic entrance by one Mad-Eye Moody, which... There's so much, there's so much drama and there's so much pageantry in this because he like doors open right at the climax of Albus's speech, and like as the doors open, clash of lightning like right behind him, lighting it up, and it's like this whole big thing. And then he's slowly walking up the aisle, and you hear this clunk sound. You're looking at this horribly scarred individual with this electric blue eye that's darting all over the place which i have questions about it's gotta be disturbing the whole thing had to be like (laughs) who is this guy it's it's not as great i think we you and i can definitely agree on this one thing it's not as great of an entrance as quirrell saying trolls in the dungeon but it's up there it's in the top two oh yeah (laughs) for sure oh yeah (laughs) um so, uh, speaking of which, if you like the trolls in the dungeon sound, go back to our book one, and you'll be able to hear that as our break noise. Uh, but anyway, uh, so uh, he comes in, he talks to Albus, and, and takes a seat. And, you know, there's little things that he does that's really, really cool that I think I might want to get to in the spoiler section. But anyway, so Moody gets his entrance. Everyone's kind of in this stunned silence, and even the teachers and staff mm-hmm. are in this stunned silence, except for Hagrid, randomly, who's applauding. We get this entrance, and then Albus is like, oh yeah, uh, back to my speech. By the way, we're hosting the Triwizard Tournament. Kind of a big deal. Why is it a big deal? Hasn't been hosted in over 100 years. Uh, first established 700 years ago. It's... It was held every five years between the three largest schools in Europe, which is a comment I want to get back to. It was disbanded or discontinued because the death toll mounted so high. And prize money is 1,000 galleons, which is 
a lot of money. And the other schools... Where money comes from? Sorry, that was random. I just never thought about it before. I would imagine the governments of the three countries involved. But that's... it should come from the schools. Who's... Which school has that much money? They pay tuition. The students pay tuition. A thousand galleons between three schools? Talking like 330-something boosters? You think... Lucius Malfoy putting up the money? Oh, yeah. Maybe. Maybe. That's actually not a bad thought. (laughs) So... I know. You're welcome. uh Uh-huh. And the other schools are only bringing contenders, not just their entire student population. They're only bringing people who they think can potentially win this thing. So, I could have been a contender. Quotes I never thought you'd say on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so what are your thoughts on, on his announcing of the Triwizard Tournament? Anything that pops out at you? Um, I mean, it seems exciting. I think I, like Hermione, would be more concerned than others about the death toll comment. And I also really want to know how long, because Dumbledore says this isn't the first time their ministries have tried to bring it back. Mm-hmm. How long do you think it ran for the first time? Because it's got a 700-year history. hasn't yep. been tried for over 100 years. How long did it take for the death toll to get too high before it was discontinued the Run, first time? The surprising bit to me was every five years. So this was yeah. a fairly common thing. Right. So if you're talking like... 200 years? I would like to know That's how many Chai Wizards... Like, give me a number. Like, it was the 422nd Quidditch World Cup. Is this, like, the 100th Chai Wizard tournament? I think it's got to be more than that, right? I don't know. I feel like, how many kids did they let die before they called it? I mean, you're talking 700 years ago... 1,200? I could see a lot of kids. Well, yeah, <laughs> I could see a lot yeah, of kids. Sure. It's probably like the freaking gladiator games or something. <laughs> yep. I could I could see a whole bunch. So Fair enough. Uh, until like post-Renaissance and people are like, maybe, maybe this is not great. So you're talking like at least 250 years <laughs> every five years. <laughs> I'm assuming there's some years where some great witches and wizards come along that ace this thing. And nobody dies. Yeah. yeah. Those are good years. And I'm also sure that they've had moments where they're like, maybe they went a little easy on the the tasks. Yeah, or maybe they tried to put in safety things like, like, but you know what? I have mixed feelings about their safety net being, you have to be of age. Like, like Fred mentions that they turn 17 in April. Sure. So they're super close as six years to being able to partake. Shouldn't it be, because like six years, seven, six years, it doesn't matter if they're 17, they inherently just don't have as much magical knowledge as the seventh years. Correct. So shouldn't it just be whatever that final year of students is, regardless of age? So I agree with you on that. Uh, I think the, the key, and I think it's purely, this is getting into the semantics of this whole thing, but I think it's a legal thing. <laughs> Well, yeah. And I think it's a legal thing because 17 is you're of age. You don't need consent, per se. You're technically an adult to make your own choice. So I think it's just purely a fine print of legality. By the time everybody gets to seventh year, they're of age, right? Yes, you think, unless there's a randomly, like, young 
I don't know what the yeah. cutoff would be, know, but it's a lot. I was skipping grades. Yeah, I don't know. You'd think Hermione would if that was a thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, yeah. Also, you bring up the point that point. If I were Fred and George, I would consider like actually appealing that way of like, look, mm-hmm. I turned seventeen in this year. Yeah. Does that while can the that tournament count? is going on? Yeah. yeah. Can that count? Instead, they just immediately go to, how do we hoodwink this judge? Oh, it's very Fred and George. It is. It 100% is. Hermione built a whole case on getting Buckbeak off. I'm sure she can make up a case for getting Fred and George. In yeah, but I don't think Hermione's going to want no, to she would that. Absolutely not. You're right. But I'm just saying, like, come on. Uh, anyway. Uh, so, I did, like, the wording of, oh, before I even get to that, uh, going back to, I'm sure they made some easier Triwizard tournaments. Mm. The counter to that is, I'm sure they overestimated some of the abilities of these students a couple of times and literally killed probably all three very quickly by going like, oh, that was probably a mistake. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, you're probably Our right. bad. <laughs> and that might have been what called the whole thing off anyway, is like, oh, man, whoops. <laughs> Our bad. Anyway, uh, so... Uh, but anyway, so they say the three largest schools in Europe, and I point this out because we've had conversations before in the podcast about schools and how many wizards there are and how many schools per wizard and all that kind of stuff based on a graphic that we've shared on our Twitter. Uh, we'll try to do that again soon so people can see it, but uh, they mentioned Hogwarts. You could say the the French one since you have such a... Beau baton. Beau baton. Yes? Okay. Better. And it's Durmstrang. Okay, here we go. So we get these three schools, which they say are the three largest schools in Europe. So that by nature implies that there are more than just these three schools. They're just There's the three gotta prominent be. Ones, You'd think. Uh, and if you bring up that, uh, that graphic again, you'll see that there are some countries like Bulgaria, for one, that would then be going to school with people from Sweden, which seems like an odd combo of just literal geography being far apart and cultures and differences and what have you. Languages, all the things. So, yeah, it's it was just interesting wording that caught my, my mind, considering some of the conversations we've had. So I'm going to go with there's more than just... Agreed. I think there's lots of schools, just some smaller than... Hogwarts. Which then I guess still begs the question, if Hogwarts is one of the three largest schools in all of Europe, mm-hmm. they only have like a hundred something students in this class necessarily. I still think there's more students than necessarily. I mean, there has, throughout the internet, there has been a lot of points brought up that like, you know, maybe in Harry's years at Hogwarts, like while he's a student inherently have less students because his parents age fought in the first wizarding world maybe there is just less wizards to be having children which you could also say that across europe that's a very exactly right and probably going back for quite a bit assuming sure the fantastic beast movie everything grindelwald did sure so i think usually hogwarts has a lot more students than what we are currently seeing or hearing about that's an interesting take with the the results of the wizarding war and what that effect might be but if you look at just you know harry's year specifically 
there's not a whole lot, all things considered. And we're talking about England, Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland, and Ireland. It's a lot of countries. It's just not a lot of kids. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You're talking millions of people. Mm-hmm. But well, only like... I think eventually we hear that a lot of wizarding parents choose to keep their kids home at homeschooled as well. Could do that. Yeah, that's certainly an option. So, uh, but if you, you know, extrapolate that out, if you're having smaller schools in the Britain area, mm-hmm. how small are those? <laughs> like, a handful of kids? <laughs> like, I don't know. Could be. Assuming they're not all set up the same way of like, we have four founders and four houses and let's fill it, you know, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, I digress. <laughs> we are going to get into some spoilers here. But uh, since Anna hasn't been on in quite a while, I'm sure she has some stuff to get at me on in the spoiler section. So uh, be prepared for that as we come back. <laughs> she might kill me in the break, and that, that'd be fine. I very well could. Uh-huh. All right, we will be back with the spoiler <laughs> section. We'll be right back. Kill the stag! All right, so we're back with the spoiler section. I'm still alive. But speaking of alive... I think you're a ghost. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, that's a wonderful transition into what we forgot to talk about in the non-spoilers, which was the ghost council. Just the idea of a ghost council. Very cool. It does sound very cool. Uh, That being said, in practicality, it's probably like the worst thing ever. Well, especially because I feel like Nearly Headless Nick makes it very clear that the Bloody Baron seems to be like the leader of the ghost council. Like, I feel like whatever he says goes. Mm Mm-hmm. And that made me think, like, he doesn't seem like a particularly very good leader. And then I was thinking about, like, this is where, like, my spoilery thoughts come in. The ghosts that we, like, really know from the book series, which would be Bloody Baron, Peeves, Nick, and the Grey Lady, and kind of sort of the Fat Friar. None of them seem like a great, like, leader for a ghost council. Like, none of them should be a singular leader. I guess is what I was I, I guess that's, well, I think that's where that comes in is I feel like it's a lot of indecisiveness. Oh, yeah, that's true. And then Baron probably gets upset at said indecisiveness and is like, <laughs> decisions <says> made. <laughs> yeah, I think that's more how that happens. But uh, Ben's probably asleep the entire time. Uh, think about Ben's. Grey Lady probably doesn't care to even show up, I would She's imagine. snobby. Fat Pryor just wants to be nice and let everyone participate. Participation trophies for everyone. He's like, well, that sounds nice. That also sounds nice. That's also nice. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine the Baron getting very upset very quickly. But (laughs) this particular one was about Peeves, uh, and it did not go Peeves' way. Which, him being a poltergeist, I guess he's included in the ghost council which would also mean is the headless hunt then also included in the ghost council or are they transient i don't think i think they were just invited to nearly headless next so transient ghosts not like part of this part of hogwarts gotcha gotcha gotcha. okay so um yeah i just love the idea of a ghost council i thought that was cool they even mentioned it i was like awesome Anyway. What other things do they meet about? Sorry, we don't have to go <laughs> no, into that. No, I mean, that, but... valid. Do yeah. they have, like... Did they help Nick plan his party? I was just about to say, did they approve a date for his death day party? Which would have to be his, his death, death day, day, but I assume it has to go to council so everybody can organize their ghostly schedules, <laughs> I guess? I don't know. 
we could talk about this. And Elizabeth would love to talk about this, I'm sure. Um, but anyway, I digress. So one of the uh, spoiler thoughts that I had, and this was a completely random thought that I had, was we get that the sorting hat was Gryffindor's specific wizard hat. That's right. That he took man. off of his head, put down, and so uh, had the idea to make it the sorting hat. And I assume all four founders inhibited some, imbibed it with some magic of some Not sort to, to make it work. My real thought was, if the sorting hat was originally Gryffindor's wizard hat, wouldn't it be cool if that's one of the things that Voldy ended up making a Horcrux later on? I mean, yes, it would be cool. But there's a couple reasons I feel like he would choose not to. Do tell. One, I feel like by the time he was making his Horcruxes, I feel like at that point, the hat no longer really just belonged to Gryffindor. It belonged to Hogwarts. But more so, I feel like, well, I guess because it belonged to Hogwarts, the whole point of wanting items that belong to the founders was because Tom loved Hogwarts so much. And it was like his home and all those different things that Harry sympathized with and didn't like sympathizing with. So I feel like he wouldn't want to somehow take that away from the school. Like, mm. I don't think he ever wanted to like end Hogwarts. He just wanted to educate. Right the students how he wanted them educated so i feel like he wouldn't want to change it or endanger it to getting destroyed or anything like that so that's why i feel like maybe he possibly never even thought about it that's an interesting thing because as you were building up to that i was like you're making every point for me to I'm sorry well no you're <laughs> you're making every point for voldy wanting to make it a horcrux because it's oh, gryffindors and, and it's so inherent to hogwarts yeah. But then I do like what you followed that with, which is because it's so inherently Hogwarts, he might not want to mess with right. that. What if by imbibing it with part of his soul, it was no longer able to sort between Slytherin, Ravenclaw, Gryffindor, and Hufflepuff, or, you know, like... He would almost revere it, like, instead of just uh, a, a cup or mm -hmm. a necklace or right. a whatever... Things that he would want to use the power of that founder. That he has no inherent, like, yeah, no yeah. inherent attachment to or whatever. Right. That he would have an attachment yeah. to. It's one of his, his first memories of Hogwarts. Mm -hmm. You know, it's... Uh, so I like that. I like that spin that he put on it. I guess my thought was just that, wouldn't it be some kind of thing to have to have Harry destroy the hat? <laughs> like, wouldn't that be such just a mind-blowing experience? I mean, how would he even destroy? Well, okay, but can the hat be destroyed? And maybe I'm wrong because remember, poor Neville, the hat was set on fire. It was on Neville's head. <laughs> poor Neville, it's always Neville. Also, could you imagine him destroying it with Gryffindor's sword? Gryffindor's hat gets destroyed <laughs> with his sword. sword. <laughs> like there's, there's a lot there. <laughs> like the hat, like yelling at him as he's bringing the sword down. <laughs> <laughs> I, this this conversation is what popped into my head of just like yeah it would just be some real interesting stuff had it broke I that even way think about that stuff i would like immediately went like deep and like no he's so attached to it emotions and you're, you're just not... like how would it be done <laughs> you're not wrong and i love 
where your thought process was on it. I was just to me, I was just like, how uh, cool and weird would that be if that had to be I the like case? Your thought process too. Uh, yeah, we took two, two different routes for that. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, we'll see if we took two different routes on the next thing too. We both had the same note. I feel like we didn't, but maybe. Maybe you never know. Uh, so we both took note that it was odd that everyone responded to Moody's entrance silently, except Albus and Hagrid were the two that applauded him or clapped as he sat down at the table. Uh, what are your thoughts as to that whole experience? Well, I feel like the reason it was Albus and Hagrid is they're probably the only ones. I think the only other teacher who might even know Moody would be Snape. And Snivellus is not going to be clapping for Alistair Moody. And I think Hagrid knows him because Hagrid would be the only teacher who was part of the original Order of the Phoenix. So Yep. I also had Hagrid as a member of the original yeah. Order. That was the note. You're right on Snape. I think he would recognize Moody. And I also agree with you that he would not be, you know, volunteering some adoration in his direction. What about McGonagall, though? Um... So I think Minnie would just be disapproving of the whole entrance. Like he disrupted the headmaster's speech. That's it right there. He's making all these clongs. He's just like sitting down and stuff in his face while everybody's staring. Like he's disruptive. And Minerva McGonagall does not do disruption. You know what? I'll, I'll give you, well, yes. Uh, it seems like McGonagall was in a mood this, this whole yes. night. Yes. After almost like breaking her hip on... <laughs> Peeves' water balloons at the beginning of the night, and then uh, Albus tries to tell a joke at some point, yes, which yes. she scoffs at and is like, "Can we get on she with just it, please?" Her throat. <clears throat> Keep them on point. Keep well, them going. And don't you think she's probably stressed out about the tournament? I think if any oh, of the teachers yeah. were going to be opposed to trying to bring back the Triwizard Tournament, it would be McGonagall. Agreed. Agreed. Um, and then. To your point that you just made, the interruption and the whole way he entered it probably upset her. She's not her. applauding. Even if she knows him and respects him, she's not applauding that behavior. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, yeah, so he did end up having pretty much the same exact <laughs> note on the, the Hagrid and Albus applause. Obviously, you know, we keep saying moody, moody, moody. Mm-hmm. Not, not moody. Not moody. So it's, which gets to another spoiler thought that I had on this is, he does such a oh, yeah. great job. And it's not even like, forget the difficulties of getting used to, on presumably very short notice, the eye having to like... Well, and the leg. And the leg. And just the mannerisms of walking and, and all of that. But the, the eye alone, having yeah. to think and use it well. Because I'm yeah. assuming it's disorienting. I would assume so, yeah. Seeing out of your actual eye and then having this thing whirl around and getting all 360 degrees. Yeah. But the detail that I loved, aside from all of that, was when he sits down, he smells. The sausages. He sniffs it, which is just inherently paranoid, which is just a great... He probably sold it to every one of the teachers mm-hmm. right then and there. Like, Boom. It's such a small detail that I've probably never, ever noticed before until this read. Loved it. I think I've noticed it before. And what's always really impressed me is, like you said, the short amount of time he had to get used to it. Because 
Harry even brings up in the chapter, it was just that morning that Mr. Weasley ran off to go and help him because mm-hmm. of the dustbins. Right. And do we have a timeline? When exactly does Crouch get, quote unquote, rescued from his father? Because obviously he's back under the Imperius after Winky is dismissed. And I know he doesn't become moody until like the morning that he goes to Hogwarts. But like how much time has he had to like read up on Mad-Eye Moody's mannerisms and stuff? Like, when does he, like, when is he freed from the Imperius curse and, like, put back into the loving arms of Wormy? He's got to be... Wormtail got Voldy back to Britain, Mm -hmm. like, early June, right? So, Wormtail went out and found Voldy Mm -hmm. in Albania. Wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, okay. And brought him back to Britain. (laughs) Easily within, like, days. He had to do it in days. It's gotta be because okay, Bertha Jorkins has been missing for over a month. Anna said Bertha Jorkins. Side note. Just tell me when, Wayo. Just tell me when. I'm ready. Anyway, so Bertha Jorkins has been missing for over a month. Uh Uh-huh. And they celebrate Harry's birthday before the Quidditch Cup, right? Uh, I don't think they celebrate it per se. Like is Harry with the Weasleys? He's with the Weasleys for like a day. Technically, yes, he would he have to be. Because he goes back to school, like, a couple of days after the cup, right? They don't mention his birthday at all, do they? And they always go back to school yeah. on September the 1st. Uh-huh. So, really... They just glossed over his birthday completely. They must have been... Wormtail must have gotten him back into the country sometime in July. Right? Possibly, because they get out of school in, like, early June. Like, they go into June. I think late June. Maybe Mid- early June. Mid- Somewhere in June. Mid-June, yeah. So either way, for Wormtail to go out and find him and bring him back in a stunningly short amount of time, given what he's doing, and then the whole Barty Crouch Jr. thing, Mm -hmm. days, like days at best. Basically from the time of, he has to have a couple days after the Quidditch Cup with just his dad, because it takes the time for Winky to be dismissed and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, it's gotta be me. Yeah. Anyway, Which, impressive. It's it's insanely impressive. Which I think he proves himself to be a pretty impressive person in general. How subtle his manipulation of Harry throughout the Triwizard Tournament was, and setting things up so perfectly to you get have, Harry where Harry needed to be. You uh, you tease me on my, I guess respect towards some of the the Death Eaters in the in the series Dolhoff comes up often <laughs> and i tease you are about... we ready for bertha okay i was gonna say i tease you about bertha all the time uh but barty crouch jr is another one that i i put oh, up no, because I think, but i think he proves it in he's this book. immensely gifted yeah in many different ways uh and with a father of barty crouch yeah. he, he's a smart surprising. dude he's a smart yeah. dude um well and his mom okay. must have been pretty sure impressive like yeah yeah anyway um but yeah he was a ravenclaw right like that's a stated fact somewhere i in would Canaan. assume so yeah. um i would imagine barty crouch was the senior was yeah, a sure. yeah. yeah um yeah we will definitely talk more uh barty crouch jr as we go on and yes we will have an anna bertha jorkins extravaganza <laughs> at some point However, uh, it will not be today because you have to get on me for whatever things oh. I have said in the meantime. 
whatever things you have disagreed with since you've last been on, which I'm sure is a... There's really only one thing that I disagree with you on. (gasps) I really enjoyed your conversation with Elizabeth about who owns the Riddle House. You had a good... If I remember right, you had a uh, good thought on that. Well, it's a thought I like, but I don't know that... Like, it very clearly can't be. I I had never thought of Albus owning it. Um, So I thought the whole conversation was interesting. But I don't think that he does. Mostly because I just don't think the whole end of the book, like, the whole regeneration scene wouldn't have happened in the graveyard if Albus owned the Riddle House. I think he would have immediately gone to check it all out and had protective spells and stuff if he owned it. But anyway, I always, in my, the back of my mind, thought Voldemort owned it. That he had bought it to let it just kind of decay and, and wither and just own that piece of his history. And I know it can't be because, you know, he wasn't, you know, owning it while he was a smoke monster in Albania. I'm sure um, he's accrued some assets doing what he's done and maybe yeah. put some, or maybe like, know. he's like, Malfoy, hey, just reroute some assets right. or creative banking or whatever. And... Right. I don't know. Clearly, goblins don't care where who is sending money where. They just send the money. But we had that conversation. But that was always my headcanon. But, okay, what I really need to get on you on. Uh-oh. Here we go. It was in episode two. And you were all like, oh, hot take, hot take. The true hot take is how often you implied that... Remus J. Lupin is not family to Harry. Okay. It made me really angry listening to you. And you just kept, like, casually saying that, like, well, yeah, he doesn't go to Lupin because Sirius is family and Sirius is family. And, like, Lupin is family, too. And he had already proven that throughout book three. So here's my reasoning on that. Is because I'm not saying, look, after the totality of the series, no one is ever arguing Lupin's importance to Harry's life or the fact that they are so inextricably close and tied together. No one's ever saying that. In the context of chapter two of his 14-year-old self, he's had one year with a teacher who he's really, really like. I think he says it in this chapter, actually. Like, I think my time, yes, he does. That Lupin mm-hmm. was his favorite Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. He says that in this chapter. It's one year... With a great teacher. I don't think Harry himself views that yet as a family figure. It's just that he literally knows that James and Lily made Sirius, not Remus, his godfather. And that's just a different relationship mindset to a 14-year-old kid in that moment. Okay, but, but, okay, yes. He knows that James and Lily named Sirius his godfather. He knew Sirius for what? Like a grand total of sure. like two hours? Not debating that with you. That's fact. And <laughs> Lupin was more than just a teacher to him in the year Hogwarts. Mentor, yeah. They had, Lupin taught him to mentors, which mm-hmm. is a very personal thing. They had a lot of personal conversations while Lupin did that. Sure. I just think where Harry was at in the summer following that year having already gone to Lupin for advice, having already had personal things with Lupin, you would think Lupin would pop to mind before this guy I knew for like two hours. I'm not... And I'm like, 
I guess I'm not really angry at you. I guess I'm mostly angry at Harry. Like, I think it's stupid that he went to Sirius that's, and let them move in. That's it, though. That's but it. But I feel like you were embracing it, and it made me angry. No, I was just illustrating that exact point. I'm not debating that it it was real quick. His his buy into Sirius was real but quick. I know. I had just like, but maybe. But that's I'm what it was. Not a serious black lover either. Maybe that that was my Julie main point. Feels is all different types of way than I do. What I obviously love Lupin as a character in the series, but in that moment, that's what Harry know, goes by. It's not my fault. That's what the character of Harry Potter believes. Oh, that's I fine. Well, that's fine. But uh, no, I totally agree with you. It was a real quick buy in the series. Very quick. You're not wrong. But you should not refer to Remus's family. That was you. That was me saying what the no. character believes. Obviously, Remus throughout the books becomes a very close member of Harry's family. And I think in, obviously, in Deathly Hallows, you see that oh, insanely yeah. close with their disagreement at a Grimwald play. Disagreement. Oh their full-blown so argument. Breaking. I hate that. You know, that, that's... It breaks my heart. Family drama to an epic level. <laughs> you know, and you see it through Order of the Phoenix and Half-Blood Prince when they start having debates on how things should be run in the Order. And you know why I they're think having those inherently it makes me mad? Because when both Sirius and Remus start giving Harry like advice and things, Remus sees Harry for Harry. Like, yes, he can see the similarities sure. to James. Yeah. But I am one of those people who very much is of the mindset that Sirius sees Harry as James. Sirius well, doesn't see Harry no. for Harry. I, I, Harry sees Sirius sees Harry for James. Which you would think I would like, considering I love James Potter, but I don't. I agree with you on that. Uh, I think they both see Harry. I agree that Sirius sees a lot of James in Harry too much. I'd also say that Remus has his own flaws of taking Dumbledore's word as mm, sacred true. religion true. to whatever Harry's bringing to the table, which is his own flaw. Yeah. They're each flawed in their own biases. Fair enough. But, uh, not that that has anything to do with the family stuff, but, you know, what have you. But yeah, you said it, though. It's it's Harry making whatever decisions he wants to make as Harry a character. Makes a lot of stupid decisions. Sure. <laughs> I can agree with that. I've given him how many nicknames? <laughs> what, was the, what was the line? Harry then did something both very brave and very <laughs> stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Thus is the thesis is of the all James Potter. <laughs> yeah. That is literally the story of Harry Potter. It's a great place to end it. Do you have anything else? No, no, I don't. All right. Uh, we will end it there. Uh, let us know what you think of the episode. Uh, keep following us on Twitter and Instagram for all of the posts on uh, Harry Potter magic of play that we have. Maybe we'll get more Anna impressions <laughs> in the future. And uh, we will see you on the next one. Chapter 13. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts a Pod.